This podcast is brought to you by ChasingRoos.com, the online store for international rugby league fans. What is up, Kangaroo Chasers, and welcome to another episode of the podcast for international rugby league fans. I'm your host, Michael Carboni. You can call me Carbs, or as my Rugby League in America podcast friends call me, the Don of the Chasing Kangaroos media family. And on this episode, I'm joined by a very special guest to talk World Cup, to talk Kiwis, to talk so much more. He was born in Tokoroa, New Zealand, but played his entire professional career in the UK he won basically everything you could possibly win whilst at the Bradford Bulls. Also spent some time at Huddersfield, Salford, Lee. He represented the Kiwis 29 times, including in the 2000 World Cup. And post-footy has enjoyed a career in media and is the managing director at Extra Mile Marketing. In my opinion, one of the top two Kiwis to never play in the NRL, and the other one was his brother Henry. So welcome to the Chasing Kangaroos <laughs> podcast, Robbie Hunter-Paul. How are you, man? Cheers, Carl. Yeah, all good. Very good. It's uh, 12 o'clock in the afternoon over here. So um, as I was explaining to you before, the music is blaring outside because it's the middle of summer here. We've got a heat wave going on here in the UK, which we don't get that that often. Um, I mean, when we say heat wave, it's like 24 degrees today. I <laughs> know <laughs> well, you guys down under like, that's not a heat wave. That's like a mild winter's day. But for us... It's um, yesterday we got up to 29 degrees here in West Yorkshire. Oh wow! Today's uh, 24, so it's a little more milder. But um, the, the 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 business centre that I work in, they've got um, a gym on the ground floor. They do outdoor working, so I'm, I've just got the windows open and the fan going, just trying to get a little bit of cool air around this place. Oh, I'm out. I'm out. I'd be no good back home. That's or, what, you you mentioned it before. Yeah. One of the top two players that didn't play in the NRL. We we didn't play there because we can't play in the heat. Can't stand the heat. And all that preseason in the heat. No, forget that. Give me minus four any day of the week. It's like you preempted the question, and you must get asked a lot. But but in all seriousness, like to me, growing up watching you guys play over there, you you were to me the Johns brothers of the Super League, and I always wondered why we never saw you in a Warriors jersey. And and you kind of answer it there. But is is that legit? The reason is it the weather? Did you just get too comfortable in the UK? No, hell no. That's not the you know because New Zealand gets cold as well. Yeah, yeah. So why did <laughs> yeah, we, if why it did we been see any it? club? It would have been the Warriors, right? Yeah. And was um, were you guys ever close? Were the conversations did they ever happen? Yeah, Surely they yeah, did, yeah. Yeah, they, they they took me and Henry out for we went back for um uh a uh I think it was a test series, might have been ninety nine. Um I think they had three na- three nations. And um they took Henry and I out for a feed and just to have those conversations. But um I think Henry had started his conversations down the road around Rugby Union. Yeah. So I saw that as a sort of like a great new challenge for him. He had, he had pretty much hit the heights of um, what he wanted to achieve in rugby league with Super League titles and playing international rugby league and playing well at international level and testing himself against the best. And I 
and the rugby rugby union offered a new challenge for him. So um, they they were really interested in getting the package, um, the Warriors. So it's, to a certain extent, maybe Henry ruined my chances. <laughs> of so he's he's got a lot to blame for a lot of things as our kid. That's what they call your brother over here. They call him our kid. Oh really? Our kid. Yeah. They, so you, so your bro is. Oh, how's your kid going? Oh, I didn't know that. It's like, what, my son? <laughs> my, my daughter? And they said, no, no, your brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he's got, he's got a lot to answer for. Um, I mean, he's got a lot to answer for, full stop, because there's a reason why, why I came to England. He, you know, he was coming to, to Wigan and he wanted to, you know, I, he just, I just thought he got into his head that he wanted some family back in England with him. Yeah. He knows if I was there, then mum and dad would probably visit a lot as well. So he, he was telling me about how um, England has all of these, you know, mile-long golden sandy beaches with palm trees bending in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> he knew how ignorant I was of actually uh, what England was really like. Um, I'm still looking for those long golden sandy beaches as well. Because you were, I mean, you were, you were 18. That's why I've stayed here so long, 28 years. Still looking. 28 years looking yeah. for that beach. Because, I mean, you're 18 when you moved over there, right? So, I mean, most yep. of your life has been in the UK now, more so than, than yep. New Zealand. Do you consider yourself a Kiwi still? Yeah, yeah. I'm not a British citizen. I still still see myself as an outsider looking in, sort of living on borrowed time. Um, though in saying that during lockdown, New Zealand wouldn't have me either. So just <laughs> <laughs> stuck between a rock and a hard place. Well, the, no one uh, loves me. The, uh, um, none uh, of, none of I, the warriors. I have a real affinity. I have a real affinity with the yeah. UK. Yeah. Um, it's a very. Uh, <laughs> it's quite funny because it's a really tribal place. A lot of people don't, and you know, people that live here don't realise how tribal it is. Like you go back to New Zealand and mm. and kind of you know you have these tribes, but there there's a real oneness. And the same in Australia. If you're, if you're Australian, you're Australian, you know. But over here, you can. You, grow up in a different suburb and you really don't like that other suburb or you grow you know your your town there's a river that runs through the river the middle of your town or a stream that runs through the middle of your town and they and you hear people still to this day talking about them over there on the other side of the river that that lot over there like they're different i mean the only thing that separates them is two meters of stream they literally go to the same schools but they just it's such a tribal, tribal place over here, and I found that really, really interesting because you can, you can go five minutes down the road and the accents change. Mm. You know, it's a completely different accent, and it's like you're stepping, stepping back into the past. Um, and, and and then they have all of these cultural hang-ups with each other. <laughs> it's they're, they're they're really a funny lot. I, 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 one of the reasons why I stay here because they just they entertain me mm. and. And the dialects are so different from town to town. They have just completely new dialects. And so, you know, like I said, our kid um, or um, my, my sister-in-law said to me, oh, I was, we we're talking about some of the stuff that I like to do with my wife or for my wife. And she goes, oh, she's ruined. She's ruined, which is means that, you know, you're spoiling her. And just little colloquialisms like that. And they still to this day, and I've been here 28 years, and still my wife can come out with some pillars that I've never heard before. Never, ever heard before. And I just, I, I've always been curious and interested in that play on words and, and, and how it all comes together. So um, there's never a boring moment in this country. 
it's insane, man, and it explains why you're still there, and it explains the way the the sort of tribalism, as you put it, the way you. No, nah, mate, it. I'm going to tell you why I'm still here because it's too bloody expensive to live back home now. <laughs> Try Australia, mate. It's it's. A... <laughs> but anyway, I know. But uh... <laughs> and it's just it started in Australia, and it's sort of it's it's rolled out to New Zealand. But my parents now live in the. They I brought up. I was brought up in Auckland, um, and they now live in the far north. They sold up. I mean, the house that they bought for twenty thousand New Zealand dollars, well, and they sold it for over a million. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, well, crazy. And you hear in those and stories that in means Sydney that too. I'm trying to think that we—it's not a wealthy neighbourhood that we grew up in, working-class neighbourhood. I'm trying to think, well, how do the kids now that I grew up with, well, their kids, sorry, how do their kids get on that housing ladder? That's that's, well, they don't. That's a reality. They that, don't. That's another a whole another podcast, and we'll talk about that. I do. Yeah. I do a few property podcasts as well. We'll do. We'll get you on for one of those. But um, speaking about the tribalism over in the UK, it explains to me why the Super League is the way it is. You know, as an outsider looking in over there, you know, you've got yeah. you've got clubs that are basically you know suburbs next door to each other, and these are like some of the more popular clubs. So, um, and and there's a lot. There's a lot of talk over there about change at the moment. You've got private equity, partnerships of IMG and all that sort of thing. We're seeing some one very strong French club over there and, and a weaker French club who, you know, it's very divided as to whether they should get a free pass into next season uh, or if they should, you know, be relegated if they do come last. But how do you see the game over there at the moment? And I, I'm, I'm really interested to get your take on you know, how you see it in, in the near future and how you think it should grow moving forward over there? Yeah, look, look, i got to admit, I was an administrator in the sport of rugby league and I got a bit disillusioned. Yeah. So when I finished playing in 2011, I um, then got, um, I then went straight into sports administration. And one of the th- things that I think is one of the biggest problems with, this, with the sport in this country is that they, they, it's run by wealthy locals. All the owners, majority of the owners are wealthy lo- locals. And to be honest, look, I, it's sort of like I'm on two sides of the fence because I know without those wealthy owners, there is no club. Mm. And they do it for, they do it for, they invest their money for their communities that they grew up in. But the problem that I had with it, because I, I did a degree in sports marketing, so yeah. we were looking at a lot of the NRL, um, the way the Australians do business, the way the Americans do business. It's the sport of it's a business of sport. Yeah, it's a business, and where where I have my where I where I lost my energy in the sport over here was it just too often it looked like a plaything for wealthy men. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't the be all and end all. Making the club generate more income through all its different resources and channels just didn't look like that that was the most important thing. Everything was getting invested onto the field. So it was just, I'm going to write, I'm going to write, um, I'm going to write off one, 1. 1.5 million pounds, but that 1.5 million has got to go on players on the field mm. because I want to, I, I want my team to win. And, and that's what I mean by, uh, it seems like it's a play thing for, for wealthy fans, fans that grew up on the terraces, is there for the right reasons? Live, breathe, and and love the club, but it's not their be all and end all. It's not what they 
need to survive. And because it's not what they need to survive, they don't treat it completely like a business. And this is what kills this is what kills me. So like going to a going to an owner and you're going to and you hear these conversations happening all time and time again. And then I also I sat at that top table when the RFL were suggesting marketing activities, marketing ideas, but it meant that the clubs were going to have to take some out of their budget to spend on these growth strategies. The clubs will veto them, said no, no, no. You know, things like as simple as putting um, something for the growth of the game to make it a more even pass. Something that you think is so, so simple, putting, um, uh, what do you call it, um, video referees yeah. at every game. At every game. So still to this day, there's only video referees at um, televised games. Mm. That's it. And it's just like, that is just so backwards. It makes the sport look cheap. And it's not a huge investment. It was. It would have cost the clubs about fifty grand. What's fifty grand? One of their shit players that they signed just to bulk out their squad. <laughs> I mean, the, the guy that that'll barely get on the field, and they'll be better off putting one of their young players who's on fifteen grand or twenty grand into into that position. And, you know, they, they get so nervous about size of squad. Yeah, it is. It's a collision sport. Yeah, you're going to get the injuries. Okay, but some of these. Some of the decisions that are being made isn't in the benefit of the sport. And I think now there are a lot more. So this is when this is during the teens. So the, I'm a sports administrator from 2011 to 2016. And this is when yep. it was at its worst. So I think through the necessity of television deals and not getting as much money, they've woken up. So I think those conversations are very different now at that top table. But I became disillusioned because those conversations, th those ideas to grow the sport will just keep getting squashed because those wealthy individuals were just trying to maintain or some some were i just i just want to survive so i don't want to spend 50 grand on marketing i wanted to just uh, help my club get through because they didn't have enough money to keep pumping in for the wealthier ones it, was, it seemed like oh well i just don't want to write out a check that has that extra fifty thousand pounds in it albeit for the betterment of the sport and yeah. this is the thing that and then, you know, some of them, there were some characters, I'm not going to mention because I don't want to embarrass anyone, yeah. but there were some characters in those meetings that, like, I mean, they were, they were Monty Python characters. You know, it was just a joke. I've got to admit, as a player, as someone who just recently retired from playing and sort of still that Jack the Lad mentality, I used to hope that those guys would turn up to those meetings <laughs> just because you knew it was going to be entertaining. You just see, like, grown men acting like children, and that's... That's what disillusioned me at that, at that time. And then, I mean, so I couldn't see where the, the growth was. And then what, what, what actually pushed me to getting out of it was a, a multitude of things. Yeah. Um, I had a really bad period in my life, really, really challenged, which, which um, we had a death in the family, birth yeah. of a child, mm -hmm. and the club not being able to pay bills and me being the only director, um, sort of having to having to – face everyone and I wasn't one of the things that I, that I was at the time was I wasn't really allowed in the accounts office so it was just like a really embarrassing hard time while I while everyone's just got up there everyone went on holiday and left me with the with my dick in my hand basically I'm sorry to hear and, that man and I, I assume the club we're speaking about was 
Bradford, yeah, and it was oh, such, yeah, yeah such Bradford, a yeah. such a massive part of your career. You know, you went won yeah. so many trophies there and did you know you you know oh, they I, I, they were the gla- glamour the club fabric for a of while. The club, man. Yeah, but yeah, part of the spiritual fabric of the club. The club I ran through the club, and the club ran, runs through me. So what I had to do, I had to, I had something had to give. And so I couldn't walk away from the death in the family because that's in the family. You can't yeah. walk away from the family. Yeah. Uh, new child can't. The only thing I could actually walk away from was a club. And to know that that's my club. I grew up with that club. I helped build that club. You know, it wasn't the Bradford Bulls before I got there. It was Bradford Northern. So the Bradford Bulls and that growth and all that success came during my tenure there. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I, I and I grew up with those fans on the, on the, on the, on the terraces. You know, they were kids when they first came. I was a kid when I first came. They're adults now, and they're bringing their kids. I grew up with them. Um, I know a lot of them by name. Yeah. You know, they're the same faces, those those ones that turn up week in, week out. The, the All the staff, they were fans. It's people that work for clubs are generally fans of clubs. Yeah. Why over here anyway? And um, so trying to face up to that. And then leaving, it was like a breakup. Yeah. So it really, really put me in a bad – I was in a really bad place. Which actually led to one of the greatest. I mean, I always look for. I'm a very pints half full type of guy. Silver linings in every opportunity that I can get. The Bradford Bulls and my experience with um, uh, the sport administration at that time during that era was the greatest learning experience for me as a professional. Post, uh, not a professional rugby player, but as a professional administrator, businessman. Yeah. Because I learned so much. I learned what not to do how to treat people, um, how to see the signs, how to see when someone's pissing up your leg. Equally, um, it, it helped me understand that actually you need to be in control of your own destiny. So stepping away from the club gave me that control. And then what I did also was because I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a competitor, I'm an, I'm an athlete in mind, i always trying to get the you know, I compete against the greatest adversary ever, and that's myself. Everything's got to be done properly inside my mind's eye. I'm, I'm pretty ruthless and brutal inside my own head yep. about how I approach everything that I do and whether or not I'm doing it um, uh, to the best of my ability. And I never wanted to feel during that six, because it was only six weeks, all of those things happened in the space of six weeks. Yeah, well. I never wanted to feel that vulnerable again. Um, so what I what I did was I, I turned to, to regularly cares with the big charity that were just really starting to work with player well, welfare at that point in time. Yeah. I said, what do you guys got? You use me. You know, I, I work on um, I work on BBC. I do all of this sort of stuff. Use me to be a um, an ambassador for you guys, but train me. And so they 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 welcomed that. Um, they put me through mental health uh, first aid training, psychological first aid training. Uh, suicide prevention. Um, I then went off and did a load of other sort of training on my own, like um, mindfulness meditation training, uh, transcendental meditation, anger management yeah, well. um, training. I did just a host of things just to build up this repertoire of sort of being the best best version of myself. And, you know, the craziest thing, I learned these skills then when I was an athlete that I know now I would have been a better athlete, achieved more, been a better role model and you know i think this is really interesting i would have got less injuries yeah well injuries come with distractions and distractions are when you're not managing your lifestyle properly yep and the tools that i have now 
um, helped me spend the multiple number of plates that I've got. And I've got, I've got two businesses. I've got, um, and then I've also got my sort of sole trader business as a uh, public speaker, presenter, TV presenter. Um, that that sort of persona side of it. I've got five kids. A newborn just recently and Congrats. four grandkids. Yeah, well. Loads of <laughs> loads of moving parts. And so how do I manage them all? Well, geez, you'll find me, you know, sat in a corner somewhere meditating just yeah, so well. I can clear my mind, go on to the next thing without pulling. Uh, I mean, the, the training that I've got, I just I wish every athlete could, could get it because it just would improve everything that we did. The, the, the mental side of everything that we do is so much more powerful than the physical side. The physical side is what we all do. The mental side will give you the edge. So anyone, any youngsters out there, go do mental health training. Learn how to meditate. Learn how to step away from the game. And you will be a better athlete and get less injuries. There you go. It's funny how life takes you where you need to go. And I was going to say, you know, I bet you wish you knew all that stuff while you were playing. And you, and you already said that, you know. So um, it's funny that we've kind of gone through from an 18-year-old from Tokoroa moving all the way to the UK at 18, all the way to the end there and um in 10 minutes but that that mental fitness role i guess you know you've got a role now with the world cup as an ambassador in mental fitness so i guess what you wish you had during your your playing days you can sort of offer that sort of mentorship to to players today right and and i mean tell me about that ambassador role what's that involve um coming into this world cup it's brilliant. They started putting together a team uh, to, uh, about a year and a half ago. Oh, no, it was just before lockdown, so yeah. two years ago. Yeah. Um, and so we started training. So Movember was the driving force behind it. Rugby League Cares and the Rugby League World Cup, they wanted to make this the most inclusive rugby league, um, well, the most inclusive sort of international event of all time. Yeah. So that's why it's the wheelchair, women's game, and then the men's game also. So very inclusive, actual on the fields, on the fields of play. And then also they wanted to use it as an opportunity to upskill um, the, the communities in which make it happen and use it and, you know, especially drive it through a CSR approach. And, with you know, it was kind of like they saw the challenges of COVID coming because what happened with COVID-19 was a massive fallout in, in mental well-being, right? People, there was a lot of scaremongering. The, I think the, I think a lot of the news outlets were really irresponsible in the way that they were communicating the headlines that there were. Mm. You know, they weren't really, tra- there, there was so much fear-mongering going on that it was a little bit, unbel- it was, for me, it was, I thought that's irresponsible. Um, and so what rugby uh, sorry what Movember had created was um, a program called Ahead of the Game they piloted in Canada it was developed in Australia um, and I think the first major pilot so I think they, they did pilot it in Australia first with a, a few classrooms and, and young uh, groups of youngsters mm. Um, but then it was rolled out in, in a little bit more of a major way in Canada. Now, the program that we're delivering is a, is a similar, if not the same program. It's probably been improved, um, just touching on some of the learnings that they had in those earlier rounds, so the two years earlier from when we got a hold of it. Um, and the target was to educate uh, uh, 10,000 young players across the north of England, their parents, 
and their coaches. So that nucleus that wraps the player. Yep. And we, what we do is we, we give them the foundations of mental health. So get them to start thinking about their own mental well-being and being able to audit themselves and how am I feeling. We do that by first breaking down some of the sort of myths around mental health and try and break down that stigmas, the stigma around mental health. And we align it with physical health. And we use narratives, our own personal narratives, to explain how it's the same and how these physical health getting an injury is the same as mental health getting an injury. They just um, they just follow different pathways and, and effectively have different mechanisms which starts the seed of that injury moving forward. But equally, you can get help. You can help yourself by doing a bunch of activities, just like you can rest, ice compression, and raise your leg. You know, if you've pulled a muscle in your leg. You can help yourself at home. And then if it's too bad an injury, you can then actually get third-party help, third-party specialist support, where you go see a physiotherapist, a doctor, surgeon. You go see a psychologist, counsellor, um, a welfare manager. So we we do that thing while we align the two things. I uh, We also sort of like put it back on these kids' toes and just say, look, it's on you. Our generation, you get taught it. We're teaching you. Mm-hmm. We're not only teaching you so you learn it. We're te- teaching you to champion it. Actually, come out there and be just don't be tolerant of people that are intolerant about mental mental health. Um, and they love that because it empowers them. I, I, I love to look into these kids' eyes and just you can see it. The reason why we do it is because 75% of all mental health issues start in adolescence. Yep. So we're getting them yep. further upstream. Let's not get them when they need it most. Let's get them. Let's give them the tools now so they can deal with it. Then we walk through a number of the statistics, do a little bit of Q and A with them, and the very obvious statistics, um, just to sort of ram, ram home them. We've also got a slide where we've just got all these athletes, like Tyson Fury, for example, um, rugby league stars, Andy Murray, you know, relevant stars to the stars over here. Um, that have actually dealt and come out publicly spoken about their mental health issues. And just to show them how common it is, um, just to normalize it, just like, again, we're reinforcing that. It's just like a a physical injury. And then we um, show them, then we use a very interesting mechanism of trying to get them to start to look out for their friends. We say, this is what you need to look out for in your friends. So who put their hand up? If one of your friends had a problem, you'd be there for them. To a person, they always put their hand up. Hmm. And say, now, what, what do you do? Do you know what to do if they've got a problem? And no one puts their hand up. And they say, well, we're going to give you the tools. So this is what to look out for. And we, we give them the, um, sort of like the behavioral signs and and the um, the experiential signs of um, what uh, anxiety looks like. Then also that what um, depression looks like. Those two things, which is very, very common with young young people. Um and then we go on and we teach them the ALEC model, which is ask, listen, encourage, and check in. And the ALEC model, again, is used to, to give them something on and, and free them. I love it because it frees me. I use the ALEC model on my friends and those that are struggling um, because it frees me from fixing them. I'm not qualified to fix them. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not, a wel- I'm not even a <laughs> welfare officer. I'm just someone who cares about you. And I'll ask questions. And we teach them how to ask questions. You know, don't ask a question if you're not in a good space yourself. Don't ask a question if you don't have the time. Ask them the question when you 
you know, because there's nothing worse than someone starting to open up on you. Oh, actually, we'll, ca- we'll catch up on this later, eh? Because I've just got to go catch the bus. And I said, it's just you're telling them that they're worthless. They're not worth listening to. So we, we teach them how to ask the question, open-ended questions that gets the conversation going. We teach them what to do if that person isn't responsive, you know, because not everyone's ready to talk. And say, so that's okay. Just It's all right. Just let them know that you're there when they are ready. And then we listen, and then we teach them just some simple skills on listening with empathy. And then the the E part, which is the real freeing part, and that's encourage them to get third-party support. Um, and then checking in on them, checking in on them. That's a, that's a big one. Um, you know, I it's been quite interesting because I've really championed um, mental well-being on the social media platforms that I'm in, like either whether whether it's with reposting um, regularly cares content or Movember's content or celebrating different things myself like you know, I think there was a the, the, what was it the press up challenge 100 press ups in a day or oh, yeah. a week or something like that but every time I thought well I'll add something I'll share some a nugget of, of knowledge on these platforms that, that I know a tool something and the byproduct of that is that it, it, share, it went to a lot of people that I work in this space and that I have some understanding in this space. And actually, the, the, what happened after that over the last couple of, couple of years, especially during lockdown, so it shows the impact that lockdown was having on people around the globe, I had ex-teammates reaching out to me from all over the world saying, oh, I'm struggling at the moment, what can, what can you advise? And I said, this is what I advise. And I said, I tell them this is what I do. This is my daily well-being program. This is how I survive with the many moving parts in my life. Um, and the, these are other other tools that you can use, like journaling, meditation, learning something new that frees you. So I, over, over lockdown, I learned how to read um, sheet music. Uh, I learned how to play the ukulele. I oh, wow. Two Bob Marley, <laughs> two Bob Marley song terribly. But I can play it, and I can read it and play it. You know, um, but it was, you know, learn something new that's food for your soul. Well, I was giving, I was hosting these, um, you know, these online programs with parents and yeah. and coaches. Um, I was, um, they, they have another program called the Offload Program, which is, it goes into a little bit more detail about other aspects. So understanding, analyzing negative thinking and the power of positive influences. This is Rugby League Cares. And I don't, I'm, a, I'm an ambassador and presenter for that program as well. I've also developed my own program. I said I had two businesses. One of them is a community interest company yeah. that I only just um, created this year. Uh, just finishing off the website being built now. We've got some funding to go and do some training in clubs. And the, the program that I'm using, I'm going to go to settled amateur rugby league clubs in tough areas. I'm going to go and do a, a classroom session with the boys in the changes room or in their clubhouse. And then I'm taking them onto the field. I'm going to flog the fuck out of them. <laughs> I love it, man. I wasn't look. I must admit, I wasn't expecting the conversation to go this way, and it's it's actually refreshing to hear an old school footy dude speaking about mental health and meditation and all this sort of thing. But in your own way, you're going to take the boys out, you're going to flog them, you're going to do all this stuff. But it's um, it's it's probably the kind of stuff you you couldn't have done or spoken to about when you're playing. Like it just wouldn't have been heard of, and and to hear you know, ex-teammates reaching out and saying, hey, buddy, like, I need help. Like, that's refreshing. I don't think, I don't think, you know, when I was growing up, 
we would have seen many footy players like asking, you know, are you okay? You know, how's your mental health? Do you need anything? Yeah. You know, so uh, you would have definitely never seen that before in your time. It's a different world, right? It was a different world that we grew up that that we grew up in. Um, it wasn't spoken about. It was just a really shunned thing. So, um, you know, and, and to the detriment of us. Uh, I mean, I, I've I've lost two of my best mates, yeah. not only last year, to suicide and and drug abuse, and the, the the drug abuse and the suicide. Both of those came with that same cultural insight that we all grew up with, not being able to share and un, uh, offload and unload all of the things that are concerning you. You know, we were just taught to, you know, just keep your mouth shut and get your head down, buckle up and just deal with it on your own. And that's nonsense. The, the human body's, the brain's not built for it. We've, we've, we've never lived in a time like this where it's, you know, bad news is 24-7. Yeah. The way our brain, brains are wired, um, you know, is we've our modern living hasn't given our brains to be rewired to evolve into something that can 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 deal with our modern living. That's why you get so much addiction. I'm not just talking about drugs. I'm talking people. I mean, you walk anywhere now and see someone not on their phone. Yeah, that's addiction. That's dopamine release. Yeah, you know everything's about fight or flight, and the reason why they pick up their phone again as soon as that beep or that goes is because they're getting a dopamine release, and it's like oh I, I, I'm missing out on something, the fear of missing out, that element that the, the amygdala that spends two thirds of its energy focused on things that make you frightened, like you're going to miss out, and if I miss out I'm not going to be part of the part of the clan, and if I'm not part of the clan I might be pushed out and then I won't be able to survive. You yeah. know that stuff that really embedded deeply in us. We've not had a chance to evolve out of it. 24-7, you know, people sleep with their phones on. Yeah. I mean, I, I go, I, any room, every room I go to, I say to, I say to them, whether it's adolescents, kids, they've all got mobiles, or adults, I say, put your hand up if you take your mobile phone into your bedroom at night. Everyone would, yeah. not a yeah. single room. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be, maybe in the, in the last two years where I'm, done it there's been like two people and I'm talking, I've been speaking to thousands of people that, that don't take their phones into the room so you got this crazy thing of being blue light stimulation as well as the amygdala working over time you're just pumping you full of um, dopamine and endorphin release and, release and adrenaline in many cases adrenaline because you're so excited about about no wonder no one's getting any sleep quality sleep is one of those big things that, that works with your um with with your well-being and and people are just you know you see it more and more often oh just can't sleep you hear it more and more often, yeah. can't sleep you're not letting yourself rest i recently saw a great great article on on dopamine release and addiction and it's 100 and just and this is where things like meditation and that come in it just allows your brain just to put the tools down just be be present too often we were worrying about what we got on the email about tomorrow, the war in Ukraine, the COVID um, pandemic. You know, we're worrying about that, or we've got anxiety about what we've just said to someone on social media. Oh, did I put that right? Did they read right? Did I use the right emoji? You know, all of these things are just keeping us on 24/7. I'm gonna figure out a way. I mean, people have to figure out a way that they 
can do a self audit, know when they're not to, and then they have the tools that they can reach to just to bring them back to the present. Because if they do, then they're going to be better. They'll be the best versions of themselves, and be, and more importantly. So this is why one of the things I do: you be more productive. You can spin more plates. You can do more. Mm. You can do more. That's that's the thing that really gets me: is that this isn't a, this isn't a. Uh, these aren't tools because you're weak. These are tools to make you stronger. Yep. Stronger than your normal, than your flatline. Your, your normal is is not your potential. Most people's normal is nowhere near their potential. And that normal, because of their, the things that are attacking their brains, are getting lower and lower. So you need something to bring you back and make that normal a, much, a lot higher, uh, a lot higher bar. And you tools like meditation, um, you know, Doing it like the, the thing, this the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because it feeds my ego, it feeds a huge important part of me. Giving is one of your five ways to well being, and this is I get an opportunity to give back to the rugby community, the community that's given me so much and still to this day continues to give me so much. And you know, like when we, we, when we were doing some of these programs and we we're sharing these stories, I had two people reach out to me on Twitter and say, This made a difference in my life. This actually, what you just shared there, actually just saved my life. Well, wow. I'm, I'm going. For, I went for help and it saved my life. And I was like, "Yeah, that's why we do it. Just, just one, just one. Even if it doesn't, just one. I mean, suicide still biggest killer of men uh, under the age of fifty. And that's 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 abhorrent. It's terrible. It kills more people yeah. than anything else. It's because it, 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 we can do something about it. We can learn from our from the other gender in our in our lives and talk to them and that's you know, we all wear this so we've got uniforms when we're delivering the um, um, the uh, head of the game program and it says um, talk more play better yeah well so as you can see here yeah, hugely passionate about it um, would love I mean I think I think if we all did it if the world over did it we would see less violence in the world more people being better parents more people being better people very hippie-ish thing to say and i'm far on the on the see when i learned all this stuff i had to learn it practically i'm i'm not the most spiritual person in the world um and so i had to understand the science behind meditation uh the rational the rationale behind it because i just i just that my my brain is that way aligned that way wired and um I don't. I don't like to leave anything to chance. It's one of yeah. those. You know, I'm one of those people that dot the eyes and cross the t's. So I had to understand from a very practical, Makes scientific sense. approach, yeah. and that's what I did. I learned the science behind meditation, which is, which has just got me. I bought in, and then since then I've learned more and more about the brain, um, and and that's helped me be a better person because I equally a better parent as well. And, what, and this, you know, I read a book, A Whole Brain Child, yeah. which is phenomenal, phenomenal book. And it just teaches you about how the, you know, as a parent, I was I was making the mistake of measuring my children's um, behavior like an adult. And they're just not wired that way. Not until they become adults are they, are they wired like an adult and can think like an adult. They're basically just little chimpanzees that are just emotional creatures. And you've just got to bring them back to their rational self. And I didn't understand that, you know, disciplinarian sort of culture. And 
uh, household that I was brought up in. You got out of line, you got to boot up the backside. And now I now I completely think a different way. And I learned that from my wife. My wife's a social worker. So yeah. I think, I think her biggest project's been me. That's that's good advice, man, <laughs> for me, who uh four year old boy and my my six year old girl. And sometimes you forget their kids. You know, it's it's so true. And I love what you're saying about the tools, man, because once you the thing about learning these tools is once you know them, you you've got them in your pocket, right? So mm-hmm. I I would um I used to practice meditation regularly probably six or seven years ago, or before my daughter was born, probably about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was something I did every day. And I don't do it every day anymore, right? But every now and then when I need it, I just pull it out of the pocket, you know, and I can sit down for 10 minutes, go back to some of the old meditation techniques, and it really does help. Um, and, yeah, it's yeah, cool to hear you say that. You should... You so should anyone that's listening to this, to, yeah. you know, to understand me and carbs aren't hippies. No, we're not. We're not. I think that's part of the, that's part of the <laughs> problem when it comes to meditation is that... Um, uh, it's aligned with that 70s hippies approach, right? Yeah. And that sort of gives it a, a negative stigma in its own right. Um, another thing that, that people struggle with is they say, I just can't calm my mind. And what you need to understand, people out there listening, is that's part of the process. The more, so the, you have those things called neuropathways, right? And this is where your brain connects two things together. The more you meditate, the stronger those neuropathways become. So you just got to stick at it. And your mind wandering is part of the process. Yep. Your mind will wonder. So I, I would suggest you use, um, uh, if you just want to try out um, uh, meditation for the first time, get um, try out try it through narrated, um, guided uh, mindfulness meditation, guided meditation. So that's where someone will be talking. And what they will do, their very calm voice will bring you back to whatever mechanism they're using. Often, most probably, it will be breathing. So they'll teach you how to think about your breathing and focus on your breathing and then they'll let you just be silent for a few minutes few minutes and what will naturally happen is your mind will start wandering you start thinking about emails or what you've got to make for tea or what you've got to do tomorrow or what you're worrying about at the moment and then a voice will come back over top and will just bring you back to your breathing again and you just focus now the more you do that the stronger that neural pathway will become and the less times you'll need to be brought back to your breathing or you'll just start doing mm-hmm. it yourself as you see your mind wander. And that's, that is, um, so, I mean, I, I'm similar to yourself. Well, not actually. Um, the only difference between me, I, I work, so just like a, a training program, yeah. I work, I've worked well-being tools into my daily cycle. So I wake up and I meditate. Mm. Straight away, that's the first thing that I do. And what it does, it re-energizes me, gets me on the front foot, takes me out of that sleep phase. Uh, you know, sometimes I can feel quite groggy when I don't do it and, and puts me into I'm ready to go phase. Um, then I have my time with my kids and take, and then what I do then is I work in cycles, hour-long cycles. So after after we finish off this carbs, what I'm going to do, I'll have a meditation. I had a meditation. Nice. Just before we came on, but th- those meditations. So my meditation in the morning is twenty minutes. These meditations that I do between between these hour-long cycles are only three to five minutes in in, in challenge. And all I'm doing there is clearing away, it's a clearing reset. away yeah. whatever I was just working on. Yeah. So I came from a, um, a it was actually a fashion marketing meeting into this meeting. 
Um, and but I just needed to get all that stuff away so I could be Robbie Paul again, as opposed to Robbie Hunter Paul, the marketer. <laughs> yep. I can be Robbie Paul that talks about this type of stuff. Yeah, well. Um, in my career, um, and then what I'll do at night, yeah, I'll pick up my um, my ukulele and I'll spend half an hour just on myself, or I might go to the driving range. You know, I love playing golf, so I'll go to the driving range on the way home. So that it'll be either that or the ukulele. At the moment, the ukulele has been brushed because we're getting such good weather, and you know it's a long winter here, and I don't like being um, playing golf in the winter. Make the most of the sun, man. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I... So that's when the ukulele comes back out. So hopefully, I'm going to nail one of those Bob Marley songs. I just can't sing. Um, but what I've got is a program, and you know every other day I'm working for the charity, so that feeds my 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 soul, my ego whatever we want to call it. Um, I, I make an effort. I saw like um, reminders in my outlook, touch base with friends. So I'll at least touch base with a friend every other day. So just I stay connected with friends back home and friends over here, ex-teammates. It's good for them. It's good for me. It's just, I, so I work these five ways to well-being into my daily program. So it's something, it's not something that I do. It's something that I am. I love it, man. Like, yeah, training. I think you got to start. And I train every day. Every day I train at twelve o'clock. So, gym downstairs. I anchor my well-being in my in my physical fitness. So every day at twelve o'clock, I train. Obviously, we we push back our meeting so I could cross over to that. So I'll be first meditation. Then I'll go down and flog myself for thirty minutes, and then back into my cycles again. And it's about everyone's going to have a different sort of frame of mind you know or a different yeah. different model right. so and and you probably start small like so i used to listen i started my meditation journey with a with an app called headspace um and yeah, recommend it for anyone that 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 wants to get into it but and you learn like you know if it's uh don't get angry if your mind wanders that's what your mind's meant to do you just got to acknowledge it and then start again you know and and you build up yeah. smallly and then Eventually, you might have a whole program like yourself. Robbie, I did not expect the convo to go this way, but I do want to talk to you about the World Cup, man, because I'm really yeah, excited man. about it. And I'm sure you are too. I mean, you played in one uh, 22 years ago. Um, how pumped are oh, you for this that long ago. It feels like you only yesterday. <laughs> I had to do some maths, man. But um, I, how, how pumped are you for it? How excited are the people in the north of England about it? And, and how do you think the Kiwis are going to go, dude? Yeah, okay, so let's start with that. I'm pumped. Like, you wouldn't believe, you know, when it, when it was brushed last year due to COVID, understandable, but sort of gut-wrenching at the same time because we were kind of steamrolling towards it. And it was it was different for us than it was for you guys back home because for us, the country opened up. Yeah. And it was sort of like we were coming to terms with living with COVID um, and just actually rather than just treat it like getting sick with the flu. So to have the New Zealanders and the Aussies turn around and say, well, you know, we, we're not going to come. It's not a World Cup. I think they still wanted to put it on, but it's not a World Cup. It can't be a World Cup if you don't have all the NRL stars, yeah. which makes up predominantly all the South Sea Island um, country, uh, nations as well as New Zealand and Australia. You're just going to have a home nations competition in France. Mm. So, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not realistic, right? Because you, you lose all the um, you know, Italy and all of them as well. Um, it needs to be as entertaining as as the 2017 World Cup was, and I loved every second of that. Same. Um, I think we're pumped for it. You know, we, we, uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and because it didn't go on last year, 
everyone's biting at the bit. Um, you, everyone in the game over here, you know, he, everyone's got a favorite or um, a favorite uh, NRL team. So there's a lot of NRL. Everyone watching, everyone that watches the game, all the real fan base in rugby league over here have Sky, right? And so with Sky, you get the NRL games. Wow. So we're watching all of those stars week in, week out. So we can't wait to see them on these shores, yeah, up close and, and, and personal. Yeah, well. Uh, I'm, I'm so lucky that I, I work with the BBC team because I get to see literally the boys up close and personally because they have me running around the fields while, while the teams are warming up. It's one of my sort of like, oh, we'll roll Robbie out to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm... T- I can't wait. Everything's just sort of like Biden. It's time at this point. It's just like, is the Super League still going? Is the NRL still going? Hurry up. <laughs> yeah, come on. Let's get there. <laughs> Last week was a 100-day mark. 100 days. We're there again. Awesome. Awesome. And the 100 days go so quickly. Um, what is it? October 15th or 16th, I think. Kickoff? 15th. October 15th. Um, yeah, man. I can't wait. Um, New Zealand's chances. You know, really, really pleased with the performance against Tonga the other day. A couple of weeks ago. Yep. Um, oh, man, what about the rain? I mean, maybe that spoiled it a little bit for both both teams. Um, the rain that you guys have had over the last couple of weeks, has it stopped yet? It's uh, it started again. So it's been pretty the exact opposite of probably what's happening over there for you. So very jealous, very envious of your heat wave at the moment. Yeah, our heat wave that you guys would scoff at. <laughs> Don't even break a sweat. 24, that's not a heat wave. No way. It's a heat wave, it's a heat wave to us. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I think there's some some incredible New Zealand talent coming through. I, I, I might look at this through, through biased eyes, but I still think we're, you know, we've got a good chance of making the final. I think we're in the top two in the world, sitting uh, behind Australia, obviously. Um I mean, rank, rank number one, oh, Robbie. Still, still fall down a little bit in the, <laughs> yeah. in the, in the halves. I think what they were going to do. Yeah, rank number one, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's right. You know. Yeah, yeah, we know, mean, we know. We it's know. about games, right? <laughs> um, I think, can I say, I mean, the Kiwis have been flying under the radar because over here you know, on this side of the world, we've been either people aren't worried about internationals for the last couple of years because the kangaroos haven't been playing or we've been talking about you know, people I hang out with, we've been talking about Tonga and the rise of Tonga. And then, you know, it's a UK World Cup, so England, you know, they're talking their chances up, but everyone kind of forgot the Kiwis. And I think until, yes, you know... Leave it that, let's leave it that way. But you got, leave it that way. The mistake, the mistake is you guys played <laughs> so well against Tonga. And, and your, your spine, I've spoken about this the last few weeks in the podcast, but the spine um, that, that the Kiwis have, you know, if you look at Manu at the back, you look at Cheese... At hooker, um, you look at Dylan Brown. Um, you know, you look at you look at uh, oh, the new, the Hughes. the storm. Yeah, Jerome. Jerome Hughes. Like you guys have a great spine, and it's you know I haven't seen a spine like that for New Zealand since you know you and your brother and Stacey Jones and and Richie Barnett were playing. You know, it's it's pretty epic. Um, and I just think you guys poked your head out against Tonga and said, uh, "Hey guys, we're actually a chance to win this thing." No, nah, they're not. No, nah, no. Nah. I take back everything I said. No, nah, New Zealand aren't <laughs> going to do this. I like that idea of just flying under the radar and just creeping up on some teams because in 2003, was it 13 World Cup over here? 2000. Yeah, it was 13. Yeah. 
So in 2013, oh, so it was 2018, wasn't it, the World Cup back home? No, it was 17 because it was meant to be last 17? year. So that's why it's been a five-year gap, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so 2013, New Zealand, you know, we had a red-hot Sean um, Johnson coming into his own. Um, and that New Zealand team was, you know, Roger was playing out of his skin as well. The New Zealand team were coming into their own, so they were positioned to be, you know, the real threat to Australia in that tournament. Um, which, when actually when they we, we played in that semi final, we kind of got blown off the park by a red hot, a white hot, red and white England team mm. in the semi final down in Wembley. Um, and you know, a couple of individual mistakes. Um, New Zealand capitalised and Sean Johnson's specialty, you know, don't rush out of the line on him or else he's going to carve you to bits. And, and, and that's what happened. We were lucky. We got, New Zealand got, you know, got through that by the skin of their teeth. But England stepped up to it. So New Zealand flying under the radar is much better proposition because, you know, you want England thinking, concentrating on Australia, thinking about Tonga. You want those three teams thinking about each other because then there is that thing, that psychological approach when coming into games and making sure you're prepared properly. Yeah. Um, and that preparation can come months early. Uh, just you keep sort of certain eyes on players. You keep, you know, how are they doing? How are they performing? Okay, what do I need to, when I match up against them, what sort of things do they do to you when you're doing your homework on the opposition? Um, so, yeah, New Zealand flying under the radar, actually, works for me, but I don't think it's going to be that way. I mean, I was talking to Sean Wayne not too long ago in yeah. a um, in an interview, and I was just trying to downplay, <laughs> trying to do what you were doing, and downplay. <laughs> but then I just got sucked into the vortex of just talking about all the talent. And, you know, I, at one point I was like, oh, I've got a boat, you know, because post um, Rugby League World Cup 2017, I was sort of like I had to talk New Zealand up again because it was in effect for us it was a bit of a disaster, um, and then I thought I'd, uh, over the next couple of years I felt like I had to talk them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. actually now that we're getting back to a World Cup again, I, I pull back on that, Robbie. Pull back on it. But then when you do look at the talent and, and you know a lot of that young talent coming through as well that are putting pressure on those senior players, um, yeah, it bodes well. It bodes well. So I'm, again. You know, I just seeing the best players on our shores, on the shores in the, in the UK, that's exciting enough for me in that's its own huge. right. Yeah. And then to see that we've got a competitive team that I'm connected to. Like I said, I don't think of myself as English. I don't think of myself as British. I, I'm still a Kiwi at heart and in mind. Um, I, I live here because uh, my wife gave me permission to. She's from she's from Dewsbury, <laughs> yep. just on the road from where we live. So, um, you know... <laughs> That's why I get to stay here for so long. Um, so that's why I'm always on my best behaviour as well, <laughs> as so, much as possible. Mate, mate so, next... but yeah, it's exciting, man. Massively, massively exciting. Next time you interview Sean Wayne, make sure you tell him, like, you got to worry about Samoa first before you worry about uh, the Kiwis and the Aussies um, and all them, because that's going to be yeah. huge. But it leads me to a question, I guess, apart from the Kiwis, like, who are you looking forward to, to seeing at this World Cup? Yeah, for me, it's Tonga and Samoa. I mean, you see the way Samoa played against um, uh, the Cooks the other night, the other day as well. Yeah. yeah. And when we look at those two teams, you've got to understand that in those two teams are probably, 
you know that you 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 you've seen maybe like eight in each team of the biggest most dynamic strike weapons of the top 50 strike weapons in the world of rugby league there's at least eight in both of those teams dynamic punch powerful strike weapons where they've always fallen down in the past and been in their halves and, and game management you know you, but you saw against a new very big new zealand team how many times did tonga roll us up the field yeah and that's what i was saying um, they got let down by their ball handling skills in those wet conditions quite a few times when they got themselves into position. That's what I was saying. It might have been a, you know, a very different looking game had it been on drier conditions where it wasn't as, as slippery as it was. Typical New Zealand, though. And I guess it's something you've got to get. I mean, it doesn't, you don't, doesn't, I've got to admit, though, in autumn here, it doesn't get really, like in England here, it doesn't really get wet. It gets, it gets damp yeah. and cold. Not, it doesn't get like you, you don't you don't it's not like back home where when it rains it's like that subtropical down downpour where it's you're completely soaked it doesn't get like that over here it just drizzles all the time so the ball's easier to handle and this is from someone that played during the winter years are the conditions um, going to make a difference for some of some of the southern hemisphere players uh i don't think so it's still played in that predominantly mild-ish you know it doesn't really get cold here until the back end of december january yeah. february which is why teams so are so often successful when the aussie when they have the world club game and the aussies come here yeah yeah because <laughs> you're like you've done all your pre-season and 35 and above plus weather and then you come here and it's four degrees or yeah. worse <laughs> i mean that's what it's like in january here. it never gets above five degrees and it's either it's either five below or it goes into the minuses. And that's just January and February. And that's when you play those games. So they get one week to try and acclimatize. Whereas, actually, um, we've been getting quite mild autumns over here now, whether that's down to global warming or we've just been lucky the last couple of years. That's what it's been like. But again, still not predominantly wet. So, no, rain won't be an excuse. Look, Australia and New Zealand have played in the last two World Cups on British soil. So that can't that you know, that can't be anything to do with the weather, right? Yeah, they should be fine. Um, hopefully it evens it out a little bit for some of the home nations perhaps. I keep everyone I speak to from Wales is like, oh no, you know, we're gonna beat the likes of Papua New Guinea because they're not used to the weather over here, you know, so they certainly, you know, and that could be a mental thing, man, think, to take a yeah, full circle. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, like Papua will have it tougher than most. But I've got to admit, when you see the Papua stars that come and play in the British game, they kill it. Yeah. They absolutely kill it. And it's maybe just that, that, that initial acclimatization. You know, get enough, get enough sort of time over here to, to really experience what it's like playing in these sort of colds with the sort of softer. Pit, um, parks, you know, grounds that you play on and train on as well. That that has an impact on it. Um, but I'm sure they're they're considering that and trying to take that into account. I love uh, it. But, you know, I mean, even the, even PNG, you know, they beat they beat Great Britain last time. Yeah. Like so yeah, there's been massive levelers over the past few years at international level. So there's so much to look forward to. Yeah. No one can be taken for granted. We're not when. When I used to play against PNG back in you know back in the day, 
we didn't think we didn't we never worried about losing. We worried about getting hurt. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like missiles. They just they just little balls of muscle. They just fly and hurt you, and they fly out of every 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 different angle. So it was just sort of like I just hope I make it through this game. I want to win it, but that's not the case now because they've got you know so many so many players playing professionally now. Um, they're thinking along the line the teams in the professional ranks now. So yeah, think along the those professional lines, the game management, all of that type of stuff. Not being so instinctive about the big shot or the big hit like it used to be 20 years ago. Now they're thinking about how, how do we manage this game so we can win it. How do we use our skill and those things that are going for us so we can win the game and outplay the opposition like we saw them do against um, Great Britain um, a couple of years ago in 2018 when Great Britain did that, did that tour. Was it 18 or 19? God, all these years of moves. It's hard. Together. to I don't know what years what anymore. Yeah, you're right. With COVID, I think it might have been 18. Yeah, COVID just messed things up. <laughs> um, I, I do hope there's some levelers, man. I hope there's some upsets. I mean, it's going to be great to see. It will be awesome to see like a Jamaica pull off a, an upset or, or the, the women from Brazil, you know, surprise everyone. Yeah. And, and you never know what you're going to get. I think this year there's probably more teams that could take it out than ever before if you include the likes yeah. of Samoa there who I think are going to have a really strong squad. Um, yeah. So it's, you know... I mean, look, one thing we haven't really spoken about either was yeah. the, is the women's game. Yeah, yeah, let's talk I, about I, it. I watch all the... I don't get all the... We don't get all the live games. I watch all the highlights of the women's NRL as well. And I absolutely love it, and I do quite a bit with the with the women's game over here. So I've covered quite a few of their games on BBC, like the um, the online version. Yep. Um, and so they've invested a lot of time and energy into the women's game over here, and it's gone from strength to strength. Uh, the Challenge Cup final that they played at the semi final, for example, had over a million people watching. So I mean, the the, the mindset of the female athletes for the English game, especially. Is completely different to what it was. And I think they, because the the Super League was brand new. I mean, of 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 the competitions that have really gone from strength to strength, I think the Super League men's competition over here has grown slowly, whereas a women's Super League competition has grown pretty quickly. Yeah, there's you a lot of clubs. Still got the two strongest teams, which is Leeds and St Helens. Yep. Um, but. Um, the advancement in the development for the women's game over here. I, look, I still think they're going to be behind the, 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 the eight ball, well, behind the ball when it comes to, again, New Zealand and Australia because of the, the, the level and quality that I've watched in the women's NRL. Um, but they're going to be a different, they're going to be a different kettle of fish than what um, the New Zealand and Australian teams faced in 2017 it's going to be that's, interesting. that's a shout yeah. out to them it'll be interesting to see because this it's kind of like in terms of like the this the, the jillaroos and the, and the kiwi ferns and and the women over in the uk as well they've sort of been apart for so long that they you know who i, I personally think the jillaroos are now leaps and bounds ahead of the rest and i mean you just have to watch yeah. the women's origin to see like you know, oh, they, yeah, they're, they're going to be untouchable in my opinion. But I, yeah, you know, I, I get that. There's a, but there's a, but what they'll see is they'll see a, a much better England team. That's and that's the that's that, what that, I'm that, hoping that, for. That they performed against. I don't think. I, I don't only, think they're, they're going to expect it. Driver of being home, yeah. on home soil as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting, man. I 
can't wait to see it, and and it's going to be an awesome World Cup. Man, final. Well, I also, I've yeah. heard, I've heard rumours of um, a lot of the talent over here, the young talent, being actually scouted by um, WNRL teams as well. I hope so, because we've got four new clubs, man. We need, we need some talent, yeah. and there's, a, there's certainly some players over there that you know, if they can make a career of it over here. And I've spoken to to yeah. Mary Kay, ladies who league about this a lot. She says as long as there's, as long as they can come over here and get paid well to be here, then you know, why wouldn't they relish the opportunity to, to, oh, to have yeah. a season or two? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's, it's massive, man. Before I let you get back to your meditation, you mentioned, you know, you've been over there for a while. Your wife is from, from England. Your kids are born over there. If, if your kids were ever to play, you know, rugby league, who would they, um, mate, who'd they, who'd they choose, the Kiwis or, you, or, or England? Who do you think they'd play for? Well, my older daughters, they, they never went down the sporting route, and that was probably much of a decision on my own. Um, my son, he plays rugby for a local rugby team. Um, and he's like, he's sort of, he's turned 80. He's like, oh, yeah, I want to be a professional rugby player. And I'm like, come on then, let's go out in the backyard and let's work on your skills. Nah, you can't teach me anything, Dad. You don't know anything. <laughs> you know? So it's like, just banging my head against the wall. I said, well, you don't train, mate. You won't, you don't, if you don't practice, then you won't get in, you won't get better. Um <clears throat> Uh, and I've got two younger daughters as well. Um, look, they're, 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 I keep, I talk to them in Māori, you know, all the, all the big words I sing to them in Māori. I, I've taught them how to, you know, I try to give them not so much a New Zealand identity, but especially a Māori a one. A Māori one, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, that, that effectively will be connected back to New Zealand just for, for virtue of where the Māoris come from. Um, just so they have that cultural identity that they can sort of grasp onto. But, you know, they're so surrounded by England, 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 England. All their friends talk about England football team and the big competition. So I would love if, you know, they were good enough to represent a nation that they would pin their flag to the New Zealand flag. The fact that we're probably, you know, this is where we're going to spend our lives. They'll probably have that... um, you know, by rights, by blood rights, they're, they're able to play for New Zealand, but I think they'll have that desire to represent their, their nation of birth. Sadly, heartbreakingly. <laughs> I love it, man. I think either way. And uh, let me clarify as well for, uh, you know, half of our listeners are Aussie like me. Um, when you say rugby over there, you're talking rugby league? Or oh, rugby? yes, yeah. rugby league, yeah. Well, I need... well that's, 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 that's what I mean. Uh, so this one, we talk about the... Because this is cultural so back in so back in 1895 when this two sports split apart and they created the rugby football league um it was still rugby it was you know just one one code and even though they hadn't changed the rules at that time at that time either it wasn't until it was exported down under that they started calling it two different codes but here culturally this is why i think this what i'm trying to explain um culturally things run deep Everyone here in the north of England, when they talk about rugby, they're referring to rugby league. So that's why I organically call it rugby. Whereas I, when I come over, I used to oh league, 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 yeah, league, oh league. And now I call it rugby because that's what it's known as. You go to the south and you tell you say rugby, they automatically know it's rugby union. I think it's one of the problems that people have breaking down the barriers with new marketplaces here. Is because people get confused when everyone that's in and around rugby just calls it one code. 
albeit it's two different codes. But how how do we solve that? I mean, you're in marketing now, like, and and that's a massive issue, and it's it's shit that I have to clarify it for us Aussies because I know you're talking about rugby league when you say rugby because you're from the north of England, but you know, mm-hmm. someone from Sydney, you'd say rugby to them, and they're like, oh no, we don't watch, I don't watch that that shit, you know, and it's like, no, no, what do you? Rugby is rugby is rugby like it's <laughs> like it's it's in many places rugby is what they call rugby league so how do we break down that barrier from a marketing perspective in new markets what what can we do can we do anything are we stuck with it now no we're not stuck we're stuck with it it's just those cultural ties have to be broken um and that has to be reinforced through uh repetition recall repetition recall repetition i mean that was the reason for the advent of the super league yeah to, to get that word league sort of positioned in the right way yeah if you want to you just have to saturate the marketplace with the word league 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 to to get it but um it's what they what they consider over here it's not worth the spend you know we we're talking about you know about driving the marketing of the sport before and so many other clubs saying no well you know to 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 change those cultural trends would cost millions. Um, and so that's got to come from a pot that's already too small in mm. reality. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, can, it can be done. It can, it can effectively easily be done by just saturating everything everywhere, getting the communities to buy into changing that name so it's, there is no, none of that confusion. Um, and you do that through campaigning. But that campaigning has to be paid for, and no one's willing to, to make that investment. So it, that's why you're not going to get it. Interesting, man. I think we've gone full circle again. And, uh, mate, I'm going to, yeah. I feel like I need to bring you back one day and uh, have another chat because there's probably a lot more we can discuss. But I'm going to leave you to your meditation. And, um, mate, Good looking man. forward to the World Cup. Um, Robbie, Hunter, Paul, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for chasing kangaroos with me. No worries, Cavs. Thanks for having me.